God, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for Advent. Thank you for this this season where we can just reflect on your coming. Where we can have a season of expectation, God. God, I pray that as we we, uh, talk about this for the next four weeks, that you would just make this Christmas so meaningful for us. God, that as we, as we dig into your word and as we talk about your son that you gave us on Christmas, that you would, you would just light a fire in us, God. God, would you speak through me this morning? Would you not let it be my human words that are speaking, God, but, but speak through me. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, like I was saying, Advent, uh, Advent is a season of coming. Uh, it's a season of expectation as we remember the, the coming of, of Jesus Christ. But this, this season can be a little bit confusing as well, I think. Because we, we open up our Bibles and we read about the, uh, about the humility and the poverty that Jesus is born into. And then we turn on the TV and it's, all we see is buy this and buy that and wealth and indulgence. We read about the, the star in Bethlehem that, that pointed people to Jesus, and we go outside and, and the only lights that we see are store signs saying, come, come here, come here, come here. We, we see the, the story of, of a room in an inn, and it's obscure and it's dirty in the stable where, they are, where Jesus is born, and, and when we think of Christmas, sometimes we think of you know, a warm, cozy house with the fire on, and the whole family's there, and it's just a feast. I think sometimes we... we we come and we, uh, it's almost a confusing time for us as Christians because it's so contrary to, to what Scripture says about Christmas. But I think, the, the, I think sometimes we unintentionally miss the point of Christmas. We go through the season and, and we seem to miss it. Even those of us who, who, who seem to, to be able to focus on the story and to, to remember the story, remember them coming to, going back to Bethlehem so Jesus can be born. And remember the wise men, remember the shepherds, remember the star, we remember the angels. There's even a chance that even in that, even in that we miss the point. Because the, the, the point of Christmas is so much bigger than just the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus. I think the, the, the greatness of Christmas, Christmas is found primarily in the identity of the baby inside the manger. I think we can focus on all the surroundings and all the trappings. It's easy to get caught up in that, but sometimes we forget who, who the baby in the manger really was and what it meant for Jesus, the Son of God, to come and to, to dwell here on earth. And so we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about, talking about Jesus, talking about the baby in the manger, talking about, about what, he's, what he's here for, talking about why he had to come, why, why did Jesus have to come to earth, why does Jesus come as a baby in the manger, what is, what, what is, who is Jesus? This is what Christmas is all about. And so we're going to spend the next four weeks really talking about that. And to do that, we're going to, we're going to spend some time in Philippians, actually, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going we're gonna to ask this question, who is this Jesus? 
And this is an important question. This is an important question for, for us to ask. It's a, it's a historic question. People have been asking this question for, for years and years and years, right? We go back to, to the early church history, and people debated this, right? Is, is Jesus God? Is Jesus human? Is he, is he a little bit of both? I mean, how much of what does he have in him? This has been a, a debate for, for years and years and years, how does it work, right? It's a historic question. Even there's, there's a historic divide between, between Judaism and Christianity that's based entirely on this question. Who is Jesus? Is Jesus the Messiah? Is he, is he someone else? Right? Who, who is this Jesus? This is a historic question. It's, a, it's not only a historic question, I think it's an important question for us to ask. In fact, I think it might be the most important question for us to ask in Christianity. Who is Jesus? Who is this baby in the manger? If, if Jesus is, is God, then that makes sense of nearly everything in the New Testament. Right? It makes sense. If Jesus is God, then, then, then the, the story, for example, of Jesus walking on water makes complete sense. Jesus made the water. Of course he can walk on the water. The story of feeding the 5,000 makes complete sense. Of course Jesus can feed 5,000 people. He made the fish. He made the loaves. He made the stomachs of the people that he's feeding. Of course, of course he can do that. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, think about even, even the resurrection, when you think about it. That if the answer to who is Jesus, Jesus is God, then, then really even the, the shocking thing about the resurrection is not the raising from the dead. It's that Jesus even died. If Jesus is, if Jesus is God, then how does, how does Jesus even, even die? That's the staggering part. Right, we, we understand that, that Jesus is, is God. C.S. Lewis had a great quote on this. He said, the doctrine of the divinity of Christ seems to me not something stuck on which you can unstick, but something that peeks out at every point so that you would have to unravel the whole web to get rid of it. Right? The divinity of Jesus is so entangled and so entwined in every single one of our beliefs. It's, it's a foundation. This is, a, this is an important question for us to ask and to answer. And not only that, it's not only an important question, it's an awesome question. And I'm not talking about like, hey, awesome dude, right? I'm talking about like awesome, like we should be in awe of, of who God is, right? And then we should be in awe. I, I hope that we, that we never cease to be amazed by the fact that God became man, that Jesus is in the manger on Christmas morning. I hope we never cease to be amazed by that. But not only is it an awesome question, an important question, a historical question. This is a personal question. This is a very personal question. Who is Jesus? I think the answer to that has ramifications for, for every single one of our lives. Every single one of our lives hinges on, on this question, who is Jesus? And so we're going to spend the next, like I said, we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about this Jesus person. Who is Jesus, and why did he come in a manger? So if you've got your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 2, if, you, if you're looking in the Pew Bible, it's on page uh, 831. And in this passage, we're going to be spending the, the next four weeks of Advent. I'm going to read this. It starts in verse, in verse 5. It's not your typical Christmas story, but I want to, I want to read this. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5. In your relationships with one another... Have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. Who, being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Again, this isn't exactly the, uh, the, the, the typical Christmas story, right? But I think this is one of the most beautiful Christmas passages in all of Scripture, I really do think that. You're not going to see any, any shepherds or Mary or Joseph or Bethlehem or angels or wise men. That's not what this, this passage focuses on. But it focuses on who is this Jesus that comes at Christmas? Who is Jesus? Who is the Son of God? I think over the next four weeks we're going to be looking at, at the claims that this passage makes about this Jesus. But this morning I want to focus on one. And it's in, on the first one in verse 6. Says this, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Some translations say something to be grasped. All right, who being in his very nature God. This claim that, that Jesus is in his nature God, in his essence, basically the word is the essence of who Jesus is, is God. He's not just a representation of God. He's not just in the likeness of God. He is God in his very essence. Jesus is God. That's what, this, that's what the scripture is telling us. And this claim obviously sets Jesus apart from everyone else in history, right? He's not just your normal guy. He's not just your normal baby. Jesus is something different. Jesus is something special. Jesus is unique. And what, is, what does this mean for Jesus, a little boy, to be God in the flesh? I, I want to use another passage this morning to, to kind of help us flesh this out a little bit. No pun intended. I, I want to I use another passage in John chapter 1 as we, as we read this morning. John chapter 1, starting at verse 1, is where we're going to go to kind of help us flesh out this, this thought of, of what does it mean for this, this Jesus, the little boy, the baby, to be God in the flesh. John chapter 1, verse 1. If you're in the Pew Bible, it's on page 750. Here's what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have received all, we have all received grace and place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This passage, I think, helps us a little bit, kind of uh, in, into a little bit of insight into this Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. And I think there's, there's really just a, a few things. I think, I think what we need to see in this baby as we begin this Advent season, I think there's, there's four things that this John passage tells us in regards to Jesus being God. Here's what it says. First of all, Jesus is the Word of God. Right? John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? And verse 14 makes it clear that the Word that John is talking about here is none other than Jesus. Right? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. He's talking, about, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about what we're celebrating here in Advent. But why, why is he calling him the Word? Of all the names, the Word, why, why would John give him the name the Word? There's, there's so many parallels here in this John 1, 1 passage, especially, I, I just say, in the beginning, where do you think of first? Genesis 1. Right? In the beginning. Right? John 1 is kind of the in the beginning before the beginning. Right? Uh, but in the beginning, you, you immediately go back to Genesis chapter 1. And, and equating Jesus with God, we see that the word of God over and over in Genesis. Right? God spoke things into being. God, God speaks things into existence. Right? And, and throughout the Old Testament, you see it in Psalms a little bit. You see it in some of the other Old Testament passages. You see that, that when God speaks, that his power and his might are displayed when God speaks. That the word of God presents God's power and presents God's might. And, and God reveals himself over and over in the Old Testament through his word. And so we get to the New Testament now. And Jesus is born. And John says, in the beginning was the word. And now the word became flesh. And now how does God reveal himself? How does God, how does God dwell with his people now? It's through Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus is, is the word. This, this baby in the manger is the word of God. God reveals himself through his word. I think as we begin to, to think about the identity of Christ, I think that, that we see him, seeing Jesus as the word, as seeing Jesus as, as the, the power and the might of God, that God is, is representing himself here in Jesus, but God, Jesus is, is God, right? God, Jesus has come to, to be God here on us. He is the revelation of God. He is God in the flesh in a baby, In a baby. Think about that. I, I just wrestle with this for a second. That God becomes flesh. And the way, that, the way in which God chooses to become flesh and dwell among us is a baby lying in a manger, wrapped in cloth. And I think that's just, that's some good stuff. 
So not only is God, the, not only is Jesus is, is the word of God, Jesus is the author of life. This baby in the manger is the author of life. If you, if you turn with me from your Philippians passage, just a couple pages over to Colossians chapter 1. Remember in John 1, I was saying, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Right? I think Colossians, Colossians unpacks this a little bit. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. Jesus is, is the author of life. All things hold together in Christ. Do you even, I, I want us to understand this, do we even realize the mammoth-sized truth this is? And, and I want us to, to picture this together. All of the universe, whether it's billions and billions of miles of planets and stars and suns and, and galaxies, are all held together by Jesus. All of our lives, the way life works, our bodies, everything is held together by Jesus. The identity of this baby, this, this baby Jesus is the author of life. And now I want you to, I want you to catch this. That this baby who is the author of life is now, this, the author of life is now a baby in a manger dependent on the creation that he made to sustain his own life. I mean, you wrestle with that, you'll get a headache pretty quick, I think. But this baby is the author of life and he holds it all together. In him was life and that life was the light of men. He is the author of life of life. Jesus is the word of God. He's the author of life. Not only that, Jesus is the light of the world. Amen. Jesus is the light of the world. I mean, you go back to John, verse 8 and 9, for this first part is talking about John the Baptist. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And then we talk about Jesus. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, you, you do a study of, of light in the book of John, and you get some amazing things. Maybe I'll do a small group on it sometime. You do, you study light in the book of John, and it is just amazing. The, amazing what you get when, when, you, when you do this. The, the world that is, that is such a dark world filled with pain and sorrow and all of this stuff is broken through by the light of Christ. That the light of Christ shines into the darkness that, that is this world. There's something that, here's something about darkness and light, and you know this, but maybe you haven't thought about it in terms of Jesus before. Darkness doesn't have a chance against light. When you flip a light switch, is there anything in that room that is still dark? No. Darkness has no choice but to flee from the light. The light overcomes the darkness every single time. And Jesus comes into the world. He is the light of the world. Man, that gives me hope this Christmas. That even in the midst of the darkness of life, even in the pain and the sorrow and the hurt and the heartache of life, that Jesus comes and he shines the light in. And darkness has no choice but to run. The light always overcomes the light. He is the light of the world. Jesus will always 
shine through. He's the light of the world, but he's also the hope of glory. Jesus is the hope of glory. John 1.14. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the hope of glory. The, the literal word for <clears throat> the word became flesh and dwelt among us, the, that word dwelt, dwell, dwelling, is the word tabernacle. Same word as used in the Old Testament for tabernacle, and I love the imagery of this, because where was, what was a tabernacle in the Old Testament? The tabernacle was the place where the people of God could come and they could be in the presence and they could experience the glory of God. God was found in this tabernacle. It says the word became flesh and he dwelled. He tabernacled, it's a verb. He tabernacled with us. That, 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 John is almost saying, you used to go to these temples to see the glory of God. Now come see the face of this little baby. Come see this. The glory of God is no longer only found in this temple. The glory of God is right here in this man, Jesus. Amen. Jesus is so much more than just a, just a baby. Amen. Jesus is the fulfillment of many, many promises, which is the, why this week is the week of hope. But Jesus is, is, is the hope of glory. I love that imagery of, of Jesus coming and, and being the, the tabernacle for us, that we can see the glory of God when we look in the face of Jesus. Right, so, so we see this Jesus. We see the Jesus who is, who is the hope of glory, who is the light of the world. We see this Jesus who is the author of life and is the word of God. And, and there's, there's, there's no other thing to do than to make a decision this morning especially as we come into the season of Advent. There's really only two choices. You see Jesus for who he is. You see, you understand who Jesus is. You know who Jesus is. You understand that this, this baby Jesus in the manger is no one else but God. This is God. God, in the beginning, was the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. The Word was God. The Word was with God. Jesus is God. It's, it's found all throughout the Scripture. And Jesus, as God, is born and He's laid in a manger. And the glory of God can be seen in the face of a baby. This Jesus who we celebrate the coming of during this Advent season. Like I said, the question is for everyone. Who is Jesus? And it has great ramifications for your life. You really have two choices. You can reject it. Or you can receive it. You can reject it. You can reject Jesus. Or you can revere Jesus. My prayer is that this Christmas season would be spent in reverence of Jesus. Amen. 
It's that old cliche, right? Jesus is the reason for the season. But it's so true. My prayer is that we don't go through this Advent season forgetting about Jesus and who he is. I'm excited to keep going on this Philippians passage as we, as we dig into the Son of God. Who is the Son of God that we celebrate on Christmas? But this week, Jesus Christ, who being in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In his very nature, God, Jesus. This week, I want you to wrestle with this a little bit. As you think about the Christmas and you think about Advent and you, maybe we'll see a nativity or two around, I want you to think about and just look, look at the face of the baby in that nativity and just think about this fact. God chose to take on flesh in this form of a baby. Out of all the ways that God could have come and revealed himself, out of all the ways that God could have come and and done what he needed to do in terms of removing sin and removing the the penalty of, of our sin, he sent his son a baby. I'm going to wrestle with that a little bit this week. Let's pray. God, we love you. And God, as we come into this season of Advent, as this is the first Sunday of Advent, as we come into this season, my prayer is that we would start it on the right foot. That we would enter the season of expectation. That we would enter the season of wanting you and needing you. by really reflecting on on why you sent your son and on who your son is. God, my prayer is that this week, as we we go through our week, that, that we would come to a realization of who you are. And that would not just be a a plain thing that we remember, but it would be something that we are in awe of. God, we need you. And we are expecting you this Christmas. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And as we go, let me just pray this prayer of blessing over you. Would you just receive this? May the God of all hope, 
fill you this week. Maybe he reminds you of his love every time you look into the face of a baby. And may you be expecting this Christmas. Go in peace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.